something that stood out in my mind a couple weeks ago when Pastor called and said, hey, I'd like you to take care of this Sunday for me and what, what an honor it is. And uh, here lately, you guys have been hearing my wife a lot, and I am, that is just an honor for me because I love to hear her minister, um, and she preaches at me a lot, so I get it, you know, double. I just don't have to give an offering at home, you know, I, I get it free, but, you know, it is, it is a great thing. I promise you that I, I will get you out of here uh, before dinner tonight. Uh, I have a few folks here that promised me that they are going to let me know when my time is up. Uh, the sound guys told me they're going to turn the microphones off. I got guys said they were going to hold signs up. And, you know, everybody's telling me they're going to they're do this, you know. But I, I said, I'll just concentrate on my wife because she's a little calmer than most people. And she'll just say, hey, it's time, you know. So I promise I'll get you out of here uh, before too awful long. But this morning, you know, hearing this, this song and and talking to the worship team, I was asked last night, you know, what songs do you, do you want? This is what we have, you know, and I'm normally the type of person that, you know, I just, you know, give it to God. God, you put, the, you put it together. And so when they said, this is the songs we're planning on, do, on doing, I told my wife, you let them know that it is perfect. This perfect for what he has this morning for all of us. Grab your Bible or your phone or whatever you might use and turn to this scripture in Psalms, 31st chapter and the 5th verse. The title of this message is, It's Only Through Him. And uh, so this scripture this morning is very simple. David is saying, into your hand I commit my spirit. So if you would bow your heads with me this morning, I thank you, Lord God, for every chance that I have to stand behind your pulpit. I thank you, Lord, for every opportunity to minister your word, to hear your word, and apply it to my life. I thank you, Lord God, because your word is what we live by to achieve the goals that you put before us to be able to live according, Lord, to the uh, what uh, the way that you have taught us, Lord God, the examples that you have showed us, Lord God, and I thank you this morning, and I ask you, Lord God, that your word come alive within each one of us, and that you use this vessel today, Lord God, to uh, put this word forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, in Psalms 31 and 5, David says, into your hands I commit my spirit, ye have redeemed me. Oh, Lord, the God of truth. But what I want to emphasize on are those first six, seven words of into your hand I commit my spirit. Years ago, my kids were little guys. I remember somewhere 2008, I believe, my daughter, my middle daughter graduated the eighth grade, and then my oldest daughter was getting married in November, and my son was talking about going to Colorado, and, and going to school, a lot of different things, you know, when our kids are younger that, that we, you know, watch them as they're growing up, changes of life and things that take place. And uh, so it wasn't that long ago, you know, that all this happened. But I remember even before that, uh, that my kids were walking alongside of me holding my hand. They... Uh, at that time in their lives, believed that, you know, dad had all the answers. And a lot of you dads, you know, you remember that, you know, and 
Now your kids are older and don't think you know anything, but <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that, you know, because they begin to realize that I have a lot of weakness and a lot of failures and, and very little answers to life's questions. But, you know, in all of that, there's a sense of security in the fact that when your kids are little, you know, they put their hand in yours and they know that they are secure holding on to uh, their dad's hands. And there is a strength that is felt in your grip. There is a relationship that is being built, built through the embracing of your hands. There, it creates a, a sense of intimacy when you hold your wife's hand. So when looking at your hands, so what do you see? If you take and you look at who you are as a person, you know, are they hardworking hands? Are they strong hands? Are they large hands or small hands? Now, my dad, my dad's hands were huge. I have one ring that belonged to my dad. My brother has another ring, and I have the small one, and it is a 16. I wear an 11. My dad's hands were just monstrous hands. So when you shook this guy's hands, you better have a pretty good sized hand because you're not going to get around it. He, he had some monstrous hands. He was a big guy. Now, he wasn't like me tall. He was about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but he was very broad, big shoulders, and he's just a big guy. So in there, you know, you see large hands, small hands. So what, what do you see? Do you see helping hands when you look at your hands? Do you see hands of discipline and, and loving hands, encouraging hands, hands of wisdom, all of these traits you know, we see in ourselves as fathers or mothers, you know, parents of our children. The list continues. It goes on and it goes on. But when we look at our Father's hand, when we look at God's hands, we can see those same traits. And we teach that to our kids because when our kids grow older and, and they begin to realize that Dad don't have all the answers, that Dad does have weaknesses and he does fail in things, we teach our kids there is a father that I worship, that I go to, that does have all the answers. He does not have weaknesses and he does not fail us. So we teach them that. So as we begin to look at our father's hands and we begin to teach them, we see in his hands that strength. We see the tenderness. We see the love. We see his wisdom, and we understand the encouragement that he gives us through the strength of God's hands. Amen? So David said those words. He said, into your hand I commit my spirit. David understood the strength of God's hands. He understood this. Paul, on the other hand, he recognized this. He's seen this. David understood it in his heart, and Paul was beginning to understand it, but he's seen this. He recognized that in my father's hands is where my strength comes from. In Romans 8:37, it says this. It says, In all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And in Philippians 4 and 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ. And I want you to look at these two scriptures. There's something that is in common there. The word through. That word through is telling us through Christ, through him. It is through him 
that these things take place, that I can be a conqueror, that I can do all things, and it is through him. Understanding that is what Paul, I mean, what David understood and Paul began to recognize, saying that it is through him. It's through him where my strength lies. We were, we were visiting with some family the other night, and uh, some, their family and our former pastors, and they were telling us they just came from Rome. And, and, the, and Pastor Spears was so excited because he, he wanted so much to be able to go see the prison that David, I mean, that Paul was held in. And it is in that prison where he wrote a, a lot of our books. The letters to Timothy were written in that prison. And he, at that time, is teaching right there on that spot as he recognized the strength that was found through him. I can do what I'm doing. I can be a conqueror. I can go through this. I can get my strength in the middle of what I am in the situation in the prison that I am in right now is through him. And he recognized that and he began to write and teach others those very things. Second thing I want to say, I want you to look at is, is that we are to learn through Christ. I can understand that I can through Christ. See that word? I got it highlighted. I had him put it in quotations. I can. I can do it. Paul did it. David understood it. I can. Through Christ, I can. I can. They did it. They're teaching it to me. I I'm teaching to my kids. I taught it to them when they're little. I still teach it to them. Now I got grandkids I'm teaching it to. They're teaching it to. And it's handed down generation to generation. I, I've done several sermons on heritage. And, and, and I use my grandfather as an example because my grandfather, we would all get together for Thanksgiving, 30 people around the table Thanksgiving. And, and somebody would pray over the meal. And I remember, I'm, I'm talking just a little guy I would remember my grandfather praying over the family as somebody was praying over the mill, teaching in that moment, teaching me as a child that I can through him. The heritage that was handed down. So I can through him. Psalms 31 and 24 says this, Be strong, take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Deuteronomy 31 and 8 says this, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13 says this, To be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Wait on the Lord. Renew your strength. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Do not fear. Our strength is in him. <coughs> Christ himself stated this. Christ himself stated this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So why would we get so paranoid over what we're dealing with when we know that Jesus, it is through him that we can do all things, so it's through him that will raise us up bring life back into us, bring us back into a position 
to where we are on top of everything as opposed to in the middle of everything. So tell your enemy, you only think you've taken me. You only think you have. What was it that, that, that Brandon was saying a minute ago about he takes on the look of a lion? You know, the scariest dog is the little dog because he makes so much noise. He ain't going to do anything. Yap at your heels, you know, so boot him away. That's the scariest one because he makes, that's the enemy. He makes a lot of noise because he wants to intimidate you. He makes noise in your mind to get your attention, to get you distracted so you don't see where you're going, what you're doing, or how to get there. That's the enemy. So we need to think about what he is doing for us. But my God said, I will raise you up. Grab a hold of what I'm just saying here, that it is Christ who will raise you up. The scripture says the Lord himself goes before you to not be discouraged. You are better than we give ourselves credit for. Don't sell ourselves short. Why? Why would I not sell myself short? Because I understand that I have the power of the universe at my tips through God's hands. Amen? <coughs> David said in Psalms 27 and 13, I want you to look at this for a minute. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Can you say that with me? I had fainted. Say it with me. I had fainted. I had fainted. I had, come on, say it with me. I had fainted. Because we get in that situation where we feel like I can't do this no more. But there's a key word in that scripture. And it is the next word that is unless. So now state that word with me. I had fainted unless. Unless. Come on, one more time. Unless. I had fainted unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord. David encouraged himself right here. I had fainted. David said, I would have fell behind. I would have passed out. I would have went down. But unless God had stepped in through his hands, I can do this. Through his hands. Unless. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The enemy wishes nothing but the worst for you. The enemy would try to rob us of our confidence in ourselves and especially in God. But with my hand in God's hand, do you realize what I just said? But with my hand in God's hand? Think about that a minute. With my hand in God's hand. The word I just started with was but. But with my hand. You know what that word is? That word takes a sentence or a situation and reverses it. Because you're heading in, a, in this direction, but, wait a minute, I do this at work all the time because I forget stuff, so it's like, oh man, i got to go back this way. That's life. We're going in a direction, and we might be on a path of destruction, or, or going downhill, or we're having problems, or things are happening. Things aren't good. I'm, I'm struggling with whatever, finances, or life itself, or problems at work. Come here, Joel. I'm, I'm, I'm working on decisions. Maybe I got family problems, so I'm going down this path. And then all of a sudden, but God, 
turns it around and says, I got a better way for you. I got a direction for you. I got something for you. Just keep watching me. Keep your hand in my hand. Keep your hand in my hand. But God, think about that. 43 times in the word that those two words are used, but God. So think about it. Do you realize that when we put our hand back in him, that our circumstances, your discouragement turns to, to encouragement, that your distractions now are put aside and you begin to see clearly again because the direction you were going is now reversed because God stepped in, but God changed my direction so I could see and go the direction I need to be going. Okay? So, I may not be able to see the light for the darkness, but God. I may not be, I might be sinking in the quicksand, but God. You know, when we become discouraged and distraught, it is like quicksand, because when we get discouraged, it be, we begin to sink into our own little life, our own little box. You know, when you're in the quicksand and, and you're going down and it begins to overcome you, you don't see nothing but the situation you're in. Or when you are, you feel like, I am underwater, I am drowning, and I can't find nothing to grab. I can't find nothing to get a hold of. But God, he's there. He's going to turn that situation. If he has to drain the lake to get you back on top, he will do so. It's, you know, this is something. I remember a while back I was praying. I'm like, Lord, what is going on with, because, you know, I'm like everybody else. I deal with things, too. So I'm like, what, what's going on here? And he's like, I, I haven't moved. I'm still here. You moved. You moved. You got distracted. I haven't moved. The prodigal son, he left home. He took off to find out what's going on out in the world. He was distracted by all that was out before him, he, everything that was in his eyes, what he's seen. You know, this is awesome. I want to go try this. I want to go do this. You know, and his father is telling him, I'm sure you, you don't want to let go of my hand. I'm trying to teach you something. You really don't want to do this. Yeah, but I want to find out what the world's about. I want to see what's out there. I want to, I want to discover new things. He's saying, don't let go of my hand. You don't want to do this. But he does anyway. So the father's just standing there. Now, this is my own, <laughs> my own story here, but it goes along with it. He's just standing there waiting. My position as your father has not changed. You let go of my hand. God's saying, it's, I'm still here. Here you go. Come on back. I will fix this for you. Why? Because I love you. I want to take care of you. I want to help you. You're going to learn some hard lessons, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to prove to you, I am going to show you that I am truly your God. Amen? Okay. So David understood this. 
Into thine hand I commit my spirit. All right. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from his love. Death, life can't, angels can't, demons can't, fears for today, worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep me away from God's love. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. It is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to read that more often and re remind ourselves. Paul and David both must have been on the same page as they were writing these because David understood it, Paul recognized it, they came together and began to write about it. Even though they were in two different centuries, they began to understand and, and came together and began to write these books so that we could have it to lean on because they knew, they lived it, and they want to teach us. We have lived it as parents and fathers. We want to teach our children. God is teaching us through, our, through his word. It is through his word we learn how to deal with life and life situations. So we ask this question. Here I am. I'm a Christian. I've been living for God. I've been going along. I've been doing fine. But there was something happened. And how did I get in the mess I am in now? How did I get here? How did I end up, you know, I was on top of the world, and now I feel like I'm under the world. So number three is, so how did I get here? How did I go from, how did I go from, uh, from having my hand in his hand? How did I go from having my hand in his hand and, and the situation where I can do all things to him? How did I go from that to how did I get here? How did I end up going backwards? What happened that, that turned my eyes around? What happened that, that caught my eye, that distracted me, that pulled my hand from God's hand? What happened to me here? What, what happened here? So it's Satan's definitive goal to reap destruction. It's, it's his goal uh, that, to tear our lives up, but that's, that's just a starting point for him. That's where, where it really don't start with, you know, a volcano and, and huge lights and all of a sudden he throws it up in the air and, and, and it's just there. It usually starts with a distraction, something simple, you know, it's kind of like a fly that won't leave you alone, something that pulls your mind or pulls your heart. You know, I'm sure with, with the prodigal son, he, it wasn't all the glamour that showed up at once. It was just one thing. Wow, that's kind of cool. And then the more he watched it, the more he paid attention to it, the more he, he, he indulged in it, the more appealing it became. The more he thought, I would like to try this. And as he began to do so, his hand and the father's hand began to slip apart. So... What is a distraction? A distraction is anything that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. God wants our full attention. God wants our focus. God wants us to do nothing but have blinders on. He'll take care of the rest. There's, you know, scripture that I, I use all the time, and it is Matthew 6.33. To seek ye first his kingdom and all his righteousness and all these other things shall be added. All the other things are what's on the outside of the blinders. He is saying, if you will just follow this path, if you will just keep your eyes on me, if you will just 
seek me, if you will hunger for me, if your passion is for me, I will take care of all of this. But we have that tendency of looking here and not here. Amen? It's just, that's a normal thing for humans is to look at the situation of life or things we're dealing with or problems we're going through. That is normal. But God is saying, I want you to get out of that normality and come back into focusing on me. The normality for the, the, for the flesh is to do this. God is saying, I want your spirit, the strength of your spirit to look at me and understand who it is that you need to follow. I'll take care of all the rest. Man, if we could grasp that, if we could truly grasp that, how much better would our lives be? But we always want to look around. In the middle of the storm, you know, the rain's coming, you know, the wind's blowing, everything's happening, and that's what we see. We see that. We don't see who he is because we see the storm. We're distracted. But it's not the great big things that distract us. It's the smaller things that the enemy uses to lead to the bigger things and blows everything out of proportion to make it look like this molehill is now a mountain. And he turns our lives totally upside down. There are things in our lives that are mountains. There are things that are big. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and try to paint a picture that is not real. There's things that happen in our lives that turn our lives totally upside down. But God is saying, just hold my hand. Scripture defines this distraction as uh, anything, uh, how I say it, Scripture defines it, any and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. That talks about that in 2 Corinthians. So anything that becomes a bigger preoccupation in our mind than the truth and the knowledge of God, this could be one or many things causing this distraction. Preoccupation starts with one distraction at a time, just like building a wall out of bricks. You build a wall out of one brick at a time. That's what the enemy does. He begins to build the wall out of one brick at a time. When the wall is, and it never stops, but as it's being completed, the further the higher, the taller, the bigger the wall becomes, the less we can see the Father. The further away we become from him because now we are separate. We are separated because there has been a wall built because of distraction. Crisis, setbacks, occasional failures occur for everyone. But they cannot in themselves hurt you. Problems drive out the worst in you or bring out the best in you. The difference between people who fall and those who succeed often lies in the way that we handle that pressure. <clears throat> We've all heard this story, the story in Luke 10, where, where uh, Mary and Martha, Mar Martha's upset. You know, Jesus is, comes into their house, and, and Martha's upset because she's real busy doing things, and Mary's at the feet of Christ, worshiping Christ, and, and Martha's upset because Mary's not up helping her. But she is so busy with what she's doing, she's not paying attention to the Father or to Christ, and so she's all busy about what's happening, and now she's complaining about Mary. Doesn't that sound like a church? You know, complaining about what somebody else is doing, or us or our lives, complaining about whatever everybody else is doing, but we're not paying attention to what we're doing. So here it is. Martha's busy, yet she's serving. Oh, get this. Now, don't get me wrong in using that word, but I'm using this word because we serve. In everything we do, not just here, 
I'm talking about in life. We're busy helping people. We're busy doing things. We're busy, you know, in, about, in our lives. We're just uh, busy all the time. So here's Martha. She is busy, busy, busy. Mary is worshiping Jesus. And then she starts complaining because Mary's worshiping Jesus and not getting nothing done. So Jesus tells her, you're doing good in serving, but you're missing the point. I'm, you know, not reading the scripture, but I'm telling you that's exactly what's happening here in this story. She's missing the point. She is so busy with life. She's so consumed with the lights and, the, and what's offered out there and, and the great things that are going on. She's become distracted and lost. The main point, main point being is that my focus is no longer on Jesus Christ, seeking him first in his kingdom. I've lost focus and I'm busy doing things. And so now I'm distracted looking at everything else that's going on around me, and I don't know what's happening in front of me when he's at the whole time trying to lead me down a better way. He's got me by the hand, and he's, and he's saying, but God, I'm trying to turn you around. The hardest point in our lives is right there, right there when he's got you by the hand, and he's trying to turn you around. And the flesh is saying, I can't do this because I see this. I can't move because I see this and God's saying, I'm turning you around. And it becomes a struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And it's a hard battle at times. But God is saying, if you will lose focus here and gain focus here, the battle will relax. All of this will go away. And I'll take care of it for you. When we become so overshadowed by stuff, it's time to return to the basics of who he is and what he did on the cross for us. But, that, there's that word again. Turn around and refocus on the basic truth of the cross reestablishes our priorities in God. Distractions blind us. Blindness causes discouragement. Discouragement takes us down roads we don't want to go. So hear me on this. In this position of distraction and discouragement, the enemy continues to play with our mind because the spirit is tugging, the enemy is pulling, you know, and you, if I had Harry, I'd pull it out, you know. That's the way you feel. You, you feel like you just want to blow. You're in the middle. You're, you're not where you began, but you're not where you want to be. It's the middle ground. Where the battle is. It's the place, I don't want to be here, but the pressure's on. It's that, how do we say it? Between a rock and a hard spot. It's getting worse by the moment. God's pulling, the enemy's pulling, and the battle's on. The battle's on. <laughs> you know, I know some of your lives. I know my own life. But I know some of your lives, and I, I hurt for you because I know some of you are really struggling within yourselves with things that have happened or you're dealing with now, in this moment, in this place, this time. But where you are in this moment does not define your destiny. The things you've experienced 
that have sucked the life out of you, have turned your life upside down, that have got your mind boggled. And you're not sure where up is does not define what he has in your future. T.D. Jake said this. God isn't trying to change your mountain. He's using the mountain to change you. Say that with me. God is not trying to change my mountain. God is not trying to change my mountain. God is not trying to change my mountain. He is using this mountain to change me. He is using this mountain to change me. He wants our full attention. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a deer hunter. And I, I didn't come from this part of the country. I'm, I'm used to being up 10, 11,000 feet looking ridge to ridge for miles. I used to do a lot of backpacking, so when I'd be in those mountains, I'd, I'd be looking at the top of this ridge. I wonder what's on the other side, and away I'd go. It may be half a mile, a mile, two miles. I'd just hunt it as I'm going. I wanted to see what was on the other side. It was sometimes a hard climb. Sometimes it'd take the breath out of me. I would be hurting physically by the time I got there. But when I would break the top, the accomplishment I felt in achieving the goal set before me was so awesome. The goal is understanding that my hand is in God's hands. I commit my spirit to him. Don't change, as hard as this is to say, you want to say, don't change my mountain. Change me. That I can achieve the goal set before me. A lot of you that know me know I went through a divorce 30-something years ago. And I remember going to the altar every day. I would leave work, go straight to the church, and I was at the altar. I was fighting a mountain. But I remember laying on, I would lay on that altar and literally fall asleep praying. And I remember saying, God, as much as I want this to go away, as much as I want it to go away, if it's going to change me to be a better man, just help me through it. You know, it's very hard to pray that way because you want it to go away. There's, there, there's you, uh, some of you here today, that you're between the rock and the hard spot. 
The mountain is in front of you. You have taken more steps backwards than you have forwards. And you want to get it ended. But I'm saying to you this morning, if you want this mountain to change you, you should be running to this altar. I want this mountain to change me, God. Because I want to be the man or woman of God that you have chosen me to be. I want this mountain to change me.